This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from Queens College in the City University of New York. For more, visit theannexpodcast.com. So um, I've got a band item. It's a couple weeks old at this point. Um, but there was an article in uh, Madison.com, the Capital Times, uh, that was going around a few weeks ago on problems at the Wisconsin-Madison Social Department. Um, and the article was actually focusing on, you know, steps they'd taken to address them. Um, but it described it as kind of a... Um, that there had been almost like a culture of sexual harassment there that, you know, huh. things that there were, uh, well, it specifically mentions uh, both multiple grad students and um, faculty, um, you know, huh. not being appropriate and that sort of thing. Uh, so let me just read the first paragraph. Uh, whispered warnings among women in the University of Wisconsin-Madison Social Department Senior male faculty making promises about book co-authorship or shared research data while making sexual advances on graduate students, sexual misconduct by male PhD candidates, all were included in a recently compiled rundown of sexual harassment incidents in higher ed. So, you know, that's obviously not fun to hear, uh, especially, I mean, I've never, uh, actually, this is one of the programs I've never even visited. <laughs> um, but, you know, I still know a lot of people who are from there and you know, we're either faculty there or grad students there and it's the top department and, you know, a lot of people. Um, and so it's kind of discomforting to think, hear about, you know, one of the like flagship um, departments of your discipline. So that, wait, that, that, that Wisconsin story, it comes out, that comes out of like a, a database of general uh, harassment, sort of like a shitty media men list. Yes. But for the academy, right? I, I believe so. I've never seen that, but that's my understanding. And it was like a, it was a Madison mm-hmm. outlet looking into the local school because I saw plenty of CUNY entries on that database. Oh, you've seen it? I haven't. I think it, I think it links through. Like this isn't uh-huh. just a Madison. This is like a, uh-huh. an industry-wide thing. Uh-huh. And I guess uh, Madison's, uh, uh, Madison's uh, coming to reckon yeah. with it maybe a little faster than other places, but uh, – because you got to know, you got to think it's a pervasive issue. Well, you can look up the uh, look up the database, and you can see how pervasive it is. Yeah, that that database about, uh, like a thousand lines. I think it had like three thousand or something when I last checked. Actually, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our hands aren't clean in this business, so it's not a Madison thing. It is an industry wide thing, but so stuff was going on it was at Madison, huh? Yeah. So I can I can speak to that a little bit, um, and I'm comfortable speaking about my own experiences. But it was really it was very interesting for me to read, um, and actually the way that you just described it. I mean, you were reading from the article Gabriel talking about this cultural sexual harassment at Wisconsin. Um, something that I've been more open about in recent years is that I left Wisconsin after my fourth year, and I didn't step foot in the state until um, I came for one practice job talk and then after that for my defense. And one of the reasons why is because I had experience with um, persistent harassment and stalking behavior when I was there um, from one of the graduate students who I don't know if it's on the list or not, actually. Um, But I guess, you know... There's, there's like a couple of things I want to say, and obviously this is difficult, but I think it's important to say because so many people experience it. Um, and one is that 
when there was this huge spike in attention, largely because of remarkable undergraduates around the country who were protesting against their experiences with sexual assault um, in colleges, there was a lot of work paying attention to Title IX for undergraduates. And I think Seamus Khan has a book coming out. There was an article in The New Yorker that was just writing about it on precisely this issue. Um, in summer 2019, the book is supposed to come out. And I felt very angry when I saw this happening because I just kept thinking, there's nothing here about graduate students. And yet if that list or if the Me Too PhD hashtag is any indication, or if my experience is not just with this one incident, um, which required me calling the police multiple times, um, going to a trial, filing a restraining order and not feeling safe returning to Wisconsin, um, but also experiences with harassment doing field work, experiences with um, just sort of that whispering, knowing which faculty to avoid and things like that. That was very real. Um, you know, I guess it's just, it's upsetting because graduate students are especially in this liminal space where they are students and employees of the university. And when it happened to me, I had absolutely no idea what resources there were. Um, and I didn't tell anyone about it. I was, um, I left to do my field work. The harassment continued from a distance. It continued after I returned to the US. Um, and when I finally told the chair about it, which I told because I found out that the student was doing the same thing to other graduate students, um, I was sort of passed off to the Title IX office and no one ever spoke to me about it again. Um, and that, I realized that there are certain things you can and can't do, um, but it was sort of the lack of support after learning how endemic this was and then learning more and more in the years since that has been especially frustrating for me. So, so if there's any uh, graduate students who are listening who find themselves in a similar situation, what should they do? Or what, what advice could you give them? Um, you know, it's harder for, for me to give advice. I'll give advice to graduate students in a second. But um, I actually want to give advice to faculty now that I'm faculty mm -hmm. um, at a university because the – the few people who knew about it, that I left Wisconsin and never came back, and no one ever asked, how are you doing? Mm. Um, how's it going? Can I do anything to make sure that you succeed in this program? Um, can I do anything to make sure you stay connected, even though you're not here? Um, that would have been really helpful, as opposed to just totally brushing it under the rug. Mm. Um, there was a time when I reached out for advice because... Um, there was a, we had a restraining order. I had to go to ASA. I was on the job market and I found out this person was going to be at ASA and I didn't know what to do because I didn't know if the restraining order carried over into conferences. Hmm. Um, and the, I asked the chair of my department who said, call ASA. And to me, that was terrifying as a student. Um, and I called ASA and they said, call the hotel. And the hotel said, well, you can check in under a pseudonym. So that's what I did. Oh. Um, and so just, uh, yeah, it was really fucked up, to be blunt. And I was terrified the whole time I was on the market. And thank God for my friends, um, because they made sure I was never alone, because I was just very afraid to be alone. I was afraid of getting harmed. Um, so it would have been helpful to have faculty reach out and know 
that this was happening um, or the ones who knew that it was happening because many didn't. Uh, my own advisor, I don't think he knows even now. Um, this is not anything we ever talked about, but it would have been helpful to have encouragement to tell my advisor. It would have been helpful to have support to know that I wouldn't have been ostracized as you know, a woman dealing with emotional issues, which is what I was terrified of um, being ostracized for um, because of this, but instead to know that I had the full backing of the department to continue doing my degree from a distance and that I didn't have to be ashamed of what happened and keep it secret. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think tell your advisor is, you know, it's obviously not yeah. the only thing somebody should do but it's it's definitely it's you know it, it, that's not somebody who just signs off right. on your papers i mean it's somebody who's supposed to be kind of your guide through the degree program and so they really should be you know there to help with the problem you know and also to um figure out any accommodations mm -hmm. that are necessary um so you know you don't have to tell them everything if you don't want but just at the very least just tell them i'm having a problem i need help with it and then it's kind of up yeah. to you tell them how much. You well, that's why I think them. it's important for advisors to create a space for that sort of thing. And, and this actually goes back to yeah. the conversation we were having earlier about working 60 hours a week. Um, if you make it seem like you yourself are a machine with no relationships or emotions or other things outside of work that matter, mm -hmm. then it can be very hard mm -hmm. for students who are dealing with major issues outside of the purely professional aspect of the PhD to offer up information about them without being afraid. Well, you know, that's why I always uh, distinguish between having an advisor and having a mentor, <laughs> right? It's kind of like your advisor is like, that's like, like purely like you're connected, like we're going to co-author and there need not be any emotion between us at all, right? It's all transactional. And your mentor is someone who's your guide, right? And I think that there are some people who are better suited to being good advisors, right? And some who are better... Uh, at being good mentors. And I think it's very rare to see someone who's good at both. What should departments do, though, if uh, they know a member is creating a hostile work environment and it gets to the point of restraining orders? It's a bit surprising that that person would be allowed to stay. I mean, I can say very clearly, this was one thing that was frustrating for me, is that um, there was a trial. The person was required to leave temporarily and no one knew Um the person's advisor didn't know, um, other faculty didn't know. And so uh, one thing that was hard for me at the time was that I left for my safety and security and mental stability. Um, that person left because they harassed and assaulted two women. Um, and there, you know, there were multiple witnesses, uh, at the trial, but to the outsider, we both just left to finish our degrees you know, and um, and I think that was actually kind of frustrating for me that it just seemed like many other people who leave to write their dissertation that we were just deciding to write from a distance um, and that actually those decisions weren't um, informed by some very serious things that had happened while in the program. Yeah, with, with this issue of like what should departments do, the, the you know, when you take the uh, sexual harassment training that I know Lisa and I have to do every two years online, the, I mean, it's basically just four hours of kick it up the chain, mm -hmm. kick it up the chain, kick it up the chain, right? Yeah. I mean, that's it. Don't try and solve it yourself. Hand it over to the experts. If you try and deal with it yourself, you're liable, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a very 
and then likewise, there's you know all sorts of issues around retaliation, not only with the um, you know the, the person um, complaining of abuse, but also of the person who's accused of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, there's all sorts of you know things that you're supposed to keep it private. So some of what we're talking about are kind of constraints that you know the Title IX office itself driven to a certain extent by, you know, case law and um, liability concerns and that sort of thing puts on departments. There's, there's limits on what uh, departments are simply allowed to do, mm-hmm. right? I mean, much as you might like to say, we should kick, you know, tell this person's advisor about, you know, scumminess and um, kick them out of the program, uh, a department or an advisor isn't always allowed to do that. So, you know, so that, article I can't remember who brought up the the piece in the New Yorker mm-hmm. was it was it was it you yeah okay now Aliza you brought up the New Yorker piece and you're right like you know I kind of feel like all of these initiatives are pretty much all undergraduate driven mm-hmm. and I think a large part of it is because I mean you know you universities have that whole in loco parentis thing right yeah. like they're totally there they're actually supposed to actually sort of serve as like these absent parents in some ways. Mm, um, not in the state of New York, but go on. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so they're- No, I'm serious. Uh, go on though, sorry. Right, so there's a whole in loco parentis thing. I don't know about the state of New York, but you know, whatever, I, I do remember like when I was an assistant master at Princeton, like we had to, we talked about this in loco parentis thing all the time. And here, like at Georgetown, we also talk about this. And whereas with graduate students, uh, there isn't the same thing. And I was just wondering, like, and thinking about that, that article where, you know, you have these faculty who are w- working in, in conjunction with undergraduates and with some graduate students and with staff to see what sorts of little things, right, could you shift about the culture um, of an institution? Um, in this case, maybe the culture of a department, mm-hmm. right, to, to try and Try, 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 and just to make graduate students safer because I, I mean, so I'm on this presidential task force um, that deals with sexual assault and 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 um, and misconduct um, at Georgetown, and it's true, graduate students. At, I mean, at least they are a subset of the groups that we're looking at, right? And that's one of the things that we're trying to figure out, like what could be done. I mean, there's this weird thing at least I don't know if it was like this for you in grad school but it was like you know it's like almost all of the faculty are male right and people talk about the sort of networking and socialization that happens outside of the classroom which is very often at the gym or having drinks or what have you and if you're a woman and you don't want to be shut out of that Mm -hmm. kind of networking what do you do right and, and would maybe trying to change something about uh, little things about that culture or about these situations that we find ourselves in as graduate students be enough to help that? I mean, maybe not in your case, because you had a stalker who was, uh, who was a grad- another graduate student. But. Well, you think, you know, one thing that's happened since these articles have been published in Wisconsin is so many of my friends and I are, are speaking out about our experiences and we're speaking to each other about them too. And it's heartbreaking because 
yes, I have very clear memories of starting graduate school in Wisconsin, being told, watch out for these faculty, Um, Mm -hmm. not knowing why specifically, but just knowing that these were things I needed to be careful um, or people I need to be careful around. Um, Mm -hmm. But after that, I was like, you never talked about it again. And now there's sort of an opening where people are sharing their experiences. And if you want to change a culture, you have to at least know what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. And the culture of silence around sexual harassment and assault in graduate school leads to the idea that there isn't a problem. Um, this other graduate student uh, who's listed in the in the spreadsheet, who recently graduated, um, who assaulted multiple women and is the reason why they formed this committee to talk about sexual harassment in the department. The fact that he graduated with a PhD from one of the top countries in the department um, absolutely sends a message that you can do this and maybe you'll get a slap on the wrist and who will ever know about it, you know? And these people might be at ASA or other conferences. These people might be publishing in our top journals. Um, You know, obviously we are having the same question when we look at Hollywood and the media. Do you continue listening to Chris Brown's music, which they played in my fitness class the other day? And I was like, do I walk out, you know, Um, or or people who are known assaulters? Do you continue to see Woody Allen movies? Things it's very it's very complicated. I think to change the culture, you have to talk. And that's why. Um, it's been so important to me to at least speak out about my own personal experiences, even though I can't necessarily, I don't think it's right to talk about others at this moment in time. Sure. Of course. That way I just, I just want to give a different perspective on the idea of dealing with it because in our system, we are regularly told that legally the students are adults. And, uh, if someone who I knew and cared about found themselves in this situation, my immediate reaction would be get a lawyer and send the lawyer to the school to deal with this. And I guess there, uh, I guess it's an issue if you, some people just don't have the wherewithal or might not have the family help, but do you guys know of any, uh, any, any uh, legal outreach or programs that if uh, somebody finds themselves in this situation, they can get the help of a lawyer or do you not, do you think the lawyer idea is a bit, uh, aggressive like uh that'd be my inclination like we could talk about culture change and whatever but nothing i think nothing gets an institution moving as quickly as potential liability and honestly it's just terrifying when you're in this situation the last thing you want to do um is draw more attention to yourself and to it knowing full well that it could jeopardize your entire career Right. So it's really scary to take those steps. Um, And that's why I think, I I mean, one thing that I think would be helpful was not, is not just for all of us to have sexual harassment training, but actually for like a pamphlet to be handed out to graduate students the first day um, or the first week or whatever in ProSAM listing all the resources they have, both on campus resources and maybe outside campus resources, if anything ever happens to them. So I, I have a question about the, this culture issue. So there's two ways to think about it. It seems like Wisconsin had an above, Wisconsin sociology had an above average number, not just of incidents, but of um, perpetrators, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, I mean, UCLA has had uh, problems. There was kind of a scandal involving somebody, I believe, in history who it was mm-hmm. kind of a serial um, skis. 
Yeah. And, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering, like, when you have multiple perpetrators, um, what is it? Is it uh, how much of it is either a, you know, you just have you have independent events, right? You know, every member of a department has a you know one percent chance of being a creep. And then you aggregate over that and you get a Poisson distribution for the number of creeps, right? <laughs> or, and then how much of it is that there really is kind of a culture of impunity uh, or, or even a culture of encouraging that? Another way of asking that is, did Wisconsin as a department, was it wicked slash negligent or was it just unlucky? I feel like I can't answer that because I left so long ago yeah. that I don't know what it feels like to walk those halls uh-huh. without feeling afraid because of my own personal experience. Um, But I don't know. I mean, it's also tough. I mean, you have to think about it. It's a really big department. It's a really small town. Very few people um, who are on the faculty have ever left. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not one with a lot of turnover um, in that sense. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to answer that. Do you have a final word, Elisa? Yeah, I want to add one more thing um, because we didn't talk about it, but um, a lot of sexual harassment graduate students that has not been mentioned happens while doing field work. Mm. Um, And it really affects uh, your ability to do research. And um, it's something that happened to me and I have spoken about it elsewhere, but I actually want to just point to a great article that came out in Sociological Forum in 2017 by Rebecca Hansen and Patricia Rep. Uh, Richards, and it's titled Sexual Harassment in the Construction of Ethnographic Knowledge, because I do think that's a missing piece of the conversation about what shapes um, largely women, but also men's trajectories uh, when it comes to research and succeeding in graduate programs and so far as sexual harassment is concerned. been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. For more information, visit theannexpodcast.com. Music is by Lena Orsa. Our production team included Anika Chowdhury and Liseth Moreno. On behalf of the Annex team, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>